Welcome to Devotional. This is Pastor Ariel. We are starting a new quarter with a new lesson entitled Oneness in Christ. This is lesson for October 3rd. It's a Wednesday. This is lesson number five. a confession to make. I'm going to have to remember everything I have just said. <laughs> I recorded this awesome episode for today's lesson for October 3rd and uh, it wasn't until I was at the very end making this very heartfelt appeal that I realized I forgot to press record. <laughs> uh, amateur, amateur. Anyways, let's see how the second time, <laughs> how it comes out. If I can remember everything. Um, this lesson transitions now. We've looked at, you know, Cain and Abel. We looked at the Tower of Abel. And now we are at Abraham. And with Abraham, some thoughts came to my mind. You know, the, the lesson tries to bring out the aspects of Abraham's life that we can learn, you know, that helps us to experience oneness. And many things in this lesson, I told you, is very rich. And I'm going to remind you again, there are links that you can have access to this lesson for free. If you scroll down a little bit, no matter what platform you might be listening on, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, that the links are there and you'll be able to get this lesson for free right now if you desire. Um, Abraham provides a unifying principles. I agree. The challenge is that you know, I've, I've wrestled with people that have come to me and said with me things like, well, Abraham, you know, he, he lived in, in a different time and culture. And a lot of the things that he experienced were not unique. They were part of the culture already. And so we begin to blur this line of, you know, what the Bible reveals. And then what we have these things called, this, these phenomena we've labeled as culture or tradition. And because of that, because the Bible definitely presents cultures and throughout centuries, you know, how it changed and things. Um, the Bible doesn't hide that or doesn't you know, eliminate that from the narratives. It's definitely there that with the language and, and worldviews, etc. But there is something that we need to you know, be careful with. Um, I've talked with well-meaning Christians that love God, but somehow I believe are being led or they're allowing themselves to put way too much weight on this idea of culture. But then what I mean is, you know, I belong to the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a Protestant denomination. And we are worldwide. And if you go to New Zealand, if you go to France, if you go to Spain, if you go to Argentina, if you go to Guatemala, you may see some differences. And you will say, well, that's because of culture. Well, yes, sure. And there's culture in the Bible. But I cannot say that culture somehow becomes my wild card for lifestyle practices and say, well, it's my culture. It's how we do things. You know, when it comes to health practices, when it comes to adornment, when it comes to entertainment, well, it's my culture. I remember using that and then going to the Bible and recognizing that the Bible did not support what I had used for years to justify. I use my culture. Well, that's how things are in Argentina. Oh, this is something that we drink in Argentina all the time. Oh, this is what we eat. This is how we eat. And what are you going to do? It's, it's my culture. Am I, am, not, am I 
more Argentinian than um, Christian. I'm American now. I become a U.S. citizen. Am I going to use American culture to somehow trump scripture? To somehow override it? Because if I do, then I am actually um, bringing into my experience a human element. And we've already looked at, you know, it's like the Tower of Babel. Culture can become a Tower of Babel in that this culture will, in, will prevent me to experience oneness. One is with God and one is with those around me. And, whoa, 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 pastor. The, the Bible definitely brings culture and cultural practices that were done in time and place. Um, this just is, is there. It's, it's so clear. All right. Yes, I agree. Um, for example, Abraham. Let's go back to him. We have circumcision. This is this is not circumcision was not something unique. It did not start. The innovation was not there with Abraham with circumcision. Other cultures, other uh, ethnic groups practice tradition at the time that Abraham uh, was asked to circumcise himself. There's a book uh, called Flame of Yahweh by Richard Red Davidson. It's a great book, very thick. I still haven't read through it, and I've graduated seminar, seminary about whew, eight years ago, and I still haven't finished th reading through it. But he, he contrasts, you know, the, the way sexuality was perceived, presented, um, embraced by pagan cultures in comparison to the Judeo-Christian, well, Judeo worldview, the, the Old Testament canon, specifically the, the Pentateuch wide difference so different the perspective and yet these people lived in the same time and culture and circumcision for pagans meant something very different than what it when god wanted it to mean to abraham for abraham it was supposed to mean you you will never you need to recognize and circumcision will remind you hopefully for the rest of your life that you cannot do anything to help me fulfill the promises I made for you. Only I, I have that kind of power. God explicitly says that in Genesis chapter 19 when he visits Sarah and he tells, you know, to that last part, Genesis 18 and 19, when he tells uh, Abraham and Sarah that in the course of pregnancy time, nine months, in nine months, um, Sarah will be bringing a child into this world and Sarah laughs and God asks that question. Is there something too difficult for God? Obviously, you think there is, but there isn't. And circumcision will remind you that there are things you will never be able to do. But I can when you have faith in me. That's revolutionary. That's unique. Circumcision may have been a cultural phenomenon that was already present, but that meaning was not there. And so God places something that supersedes culture, something that detaches circumcision from the cultural meaning that it had. Uh, sacrifices. Abraham sacrificed animals to, to God as well. But that was not unique. God, Abraham was not the only one doing sa animal sacrifices in that culture at that time. But what did it mean for Abraham? Very different than from his pagan neighbors. They were taught that these sacrifices are, you know, how you barter with God. I'll give you these sacrifices, you give me rain. I give you these sacrifices, you make my cows to not abort or my grains to get eaten by locusts. Um, for Abraham, 
The sacrifices dominated the theme of sin, of the separation between God and humanity. And throughout, you know, decades of God working with Abraham, at the end, when when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, I believe Abraham gets it. And maybe not fully, maybe yes, fully. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that Abraham saw him. And I believe it's in Mount Moriah that Abraham got to see a vision of Jesus. When Isaac asked him, here's, here's the fire, Father, here's the wood, but where's the lamb, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the sacrifice. God will provide for himself. That was the basis of all the other sacrificial teachings that would come in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. These, these, was God's, these were God's provisions to restore that oneness between God and the human. And through this unification, the human could experience oneness as well. It begins with God, and that was a, a inserted into the sacrificial systems. So, though there is culture present, it doesn't dominate. And though there is culture present, God puts a, a, a submissive, it is second, third, fourth, fifth place. What dominates is his worldview, which is above culture. God does not bring a human culture of salvation. He brings a divine worldview. He uses cultural means so that we can get things. But he, re he redefines them in a revolutionary, unique way, in ways that no human being could have ever made circumcision to mean that. No human being would have ever thought of a God that would provide himself, not that he would provide a sacrifice apart from himself, but that he himself would be that sacrifice. There's no human. That's why it seems so ridiculous for the Greeks and a stumbling block for the Jews. And it was the Jews that received this revelation. And why did the Jews reject it? Culture. How high does culture rank in your book? Whether you're a Filipino, a German, or American, or Seventh-day Adventist American, how big does culture play in your priorities, your values, your theology, in comparison to the scriptures? You see, my, my position is, and you can disagree, but my position is that the only way that we're going to experience oneness as Seventh-day Adventists is through scripture. And you may point, like the Roman Catholics point to Protestants and say, look at, you know, you have the Taylor Oakwood Church, and right next to it, you have a Romanian Pentecostal Church. And Pastor Ariel pastors another church in Monroe, and you know, right next to that Monroe Church, there's a Baptist Church. And sometimes, when they see each other in the parking lot, they wave at each other. That's how much oneness exists in Protestantism. Come back to the Catholic Church. The Church is what will unite believers, and it's the fulcrum. If the Church be lifted up, the Church will draw everybody to themselves. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says that if He would be lifted up, not the Church, He would draw everybody to Himself. And how do you lift up Jesus without the Scriptures? Jesus in John chapter 8 says, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And then a few verses later in chapter 6, Jesus says, The flesh profits nothing. My words that I speak to you, they are spirit. They are life. Maybe our culture in America, maybe the cultures in other parts of the world, we've departed from a biblical 
influencing biblical dominant worldview and have allowed a lot of things to be justified because of culture a lot of dress and attire entertainment uh, diet uh, how we relate to health etc we've allowed our culture to dominate and we have justified and allowed practices in our quote-unquote christianity that are way more cultural than biblical and therefore we resisted because the bible would call you to change the Bible would call me to surrender and stop certain practices that I'm justifying because, hey, I'm a Hindu. Hey, my culture, I'm from Argentina. We drink this. Everybody drinks this in Argentina. Everybody eats this. Veggie burgers for an Argentinian? Are you kidding? We can't make culture the dominant determining factor in our lives. Where does culture rank for you? This unity that this unity that we want, this oneness that we want in our church, in our churches. I mean, a previous episode we talked about the racial divisions. That's culture. That's tradition. And it was tradition. It was a cultural Juda- Judaistic way of looking at the scriptures that blinded the eyes of the church leaders when Jesus was here the first time around. Why would we want to embrace that again? Yes, we grow up in a culture like Abraham did. But God worked hard to take that worldview, that distorted worldview dictated by Abraham's culture and reteach him, not another culture, but the gospel. And right now, you and I are in that same predicament. Where does the Bible rank in you seeking to have it inform you and correct you even from the things in your culture that need to change are you willing are you willing to be more christian than american more christian than argentinian more christian than filipino more christian than nigerian are you willing to have jesus lifted up in your life and transform you that's the power of the gospel And oneness hinges upon us departing from the traditions and cultures of the world and embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only this will bring true unity to you and I.